0: Welcome to The World Awaits. Travel
1: tales to inspire your wanderlust.
0: I'm Kirsty Bedford, journalist, editor and travel writer.
1: And I'm Belinda Jackson, author, travel journalist and columnist and we're your weekly co-hosts. Hello and welcome back. How are you this week, Belle? Great, thanks, Kirsty. It's been a big one. I took a sneak peek at the Ridges Melbourne in the city's theatre district to check out its renovation, which took years and reportedly tens of billions of dollars, so being a bit cagey on the cash. Um, This week also saw the launch of the new Virgin Voyages cruises. Think adults-only cruises run by Richard Branson, Rockstar Suites designed by the big names in fashion and interior design, Michelin-star restaurants, J-Lo is an ambassador. Also, I know it's got it all, Um, what it also has is no single-use plastic. And new low emission ships, which I really like. And I also squeezed in a visit to the stadium to see the Matildas play Canada. It's been a big week. How much? Big week.
0: Must need a lie down. Um, (laughs) I've been on deadline too with the next issue of Signature Luxury Travel and Style, and we go to print shortly. And I've also been planning a trip back to New Zealand to one of my favourite places in the North Island, which is Waiheke Island. Oh, why is it so good? I mean, I've heard a lot about it, but what makes it so great in your eyes? Well, it's actually changed a lot over the years and since I lived in New Zealand many, many years ago. But um, the things that make it so good, uh, it's actually only 45 minutes by ferry from the centre centre of the city. And it's just so beautiful. It's full of wineries, olive groves, Beaches and bays at every turn and quaint villages and amazing places to eat. Um, One of my favourite places is actually Mudbrick Vineyard and Restaurant. And you can actually sit there and sit outside and you can look right across at the city skyline. It's just so pretty. Um, Definitely a place to put on the list if you love a little island escape. And there are also lots of batches, which is the Kiwi word for holiday house, uh, and lots of batches right on the water, so you can rent a place to stay and literally just walk out and you're and go for a swim. Oh, I love a good
1: island stay. And speaking of islands, the Henley Passport Index is out for twenty twenty three. This is basically a ranks the global travel freedom in terms of how many visa free and visa on demand access each country has and what island nation do you think now has the world's most powerful passport Kirsty go on give us a run
0: give us a crack at it I have absolutely no idea tell us (laughs) Belle tell us it is it is Singapore which has knocked another island Japan off the
1: top spot and is now the officially the most powerful passport in the world and Germany, Italy and Spain all moved up into second place which mm. with visa-free access to 190 destinations. And Japanese passport holders joined those of six other nations, which includes Austria, Finland and Sweden, in third place.
0: Gosh, amazing. Well, uh, that's... Interesting re-Singapore, such a great place to go with the food, amazing food, and obviously amazing food. great <laughs> climate, and it's so easy to get around, uh, so, but um, anyway, not that has anything to do with the ranking, but no. <laughs> uh, UK was also bumped up the list after a six-year decline, jumping up two places on the latest ranking to fourth, while the US continued its decade-long slide, plummeting a further two spots to eighth.
1: Yeah, and Australia came in at sixth place, so we jumped up two places and joined Hungary and Poland, um, and that just that demonstrates the overall trend for greater visa-free travel around the world. And I was really interested to learn that there are twelve countries that offer either you don't need a visa for or you can get one on arrival for all 198 passports in the world and those 12 countries included the maldives rwanda and closer to home timor leste although at the other end of the scale it breaks my heart
0: to see poor afghanistan remains in last place Mm, well yeah it's interesting though isn't it right well let's get into it so who are you chatting to this week belle This
1: week, I caught up with Alistair Leith, an entertainment journalist and movie reviewer, and he is currently hoovering up all of the silver screen goodness at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which starts today, the 3rd of August, and runs until the 27th. And you can see the full program on their website at miff.com.au. Hey, Alistair, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be... We're actually in a studio. That's very exciting together, isn't it?
2: I know. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Good to do it in person.
1: Always. Um, you have been a very busy lad in the lead-up to the Melbourne International Film Festival, which actually starts today. I mean, how many... It does.
2: I'm exhausted already.
1: Uh, well, well and, and, and it hasn't even started. <laughs> no, Why is no. that?
2: It's a lot of prep work, I guess, goes into this. We just get... Flooded with screeners going, Hey, tell everyone how amazing these movies are
1: and how many movies and are they? What
2: there? they should see. So, there's 267 this year. Oh,
1: my goodness, from all over the that world! That is a lot
2: if, from everywhere. They've really like, usually, they do go out, but this year, they've really rounded it out and they've got a really big selection. So, if you know, English American is your think, great, you've got lots. Um, There's a big emphasis on uh, Nordic films this year. Yeah, cool. Um, There's a lot of Japanese as well. Mm. Um, And European, which... I kind of dived into a bit,
1: yeah. Okay, um,
2: pre-festival, what I could get my hands on.
1: And you've picked three movies that you really love, which um, have got a, a really all about the place, like the the locations of them is what the yeah, heroes yeah. are. So we've got one today from uh, the north, from northern Germany. We've got an Irish movie and another, which this one just makes my heart explode. <laughs> it's from the Sami lands in Norway. So. Tell us, like hit us.
2: Well, look, let's start with the big one. Okay, go. We'll start with "Let the River Flow." So it's set in Norway. I
1: think this one's your favorite, isn't it? It is. Uh,
2: yeah, it's definitely my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. I was very close to giving it five stars, but mm, that's a five stars is a difficult thing to give and justify, and not be crucified online for. So
1: why did it get you almost so five, I five stars four and for? And a half. Okay. Uh,
2: <laughs> so. <laughs> Look, it is set, it's a true story. So, um, the Alta River. Uh, so, it is set in uh, the real life events from 1979 to 1981. Okay. Uh, so, when I did, uh, from the look of the movie, everything looks 60s. Uh-huh. In the interiors.
1: Oh, is that where you um, lost the half star? Because you think that it
3: was. I was just like,
2: in... oh, this is very psychedelic. Oh, okay. Um, the wallpapers and stuff are like, what's going on? Um, but yeah, seven, uh, seventy nine to eighty one was when the uh, uprising, I guess you'd call it, mm. happened with the Sami people, um, and and this you know, is this
1: is a protest about the dam, like damming part of the indigenous Sami lands, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So I guess this movie takes a different approach. You don't see things from the Sami point of view. You see it from a one young girl's point of view. Mm. Um, And she is Sami, but she's been raised, colonised and assimilated. Wow. uh, And finds out through her cousin, who is just this hilarious flamboyant, um, drags her into this world and says, this is who you are. This is what the government wants to do. This is why we, you know, need to do something about it. Uh Um, And then it just kind of transfers into this snow and ice set up against the Sami dress which just have these like reds blues against that snow it's just heaven to look at
1: oh fantastic and I, i've seen some of the promo photos for it and you you've got you've got the bright red fabrics like the mm. woven fabrics and stuff like yeah. that of the sami and that incredible northern uh, northern norway landscapes of, of big snow and ice so i mean that just makes my heart sing. one of the stars of it is the northern lights isn't it
2: it is yes <laughs> right. um and reindeer
1: oh love um, a good reindeer shot
2: Some of it is reindeer for food and clothes.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, So it's not all Rudolph, Uh, but...
1: (laughs) I'm okay with that.
2: It is definitely, it doesn't shy away from the harshness of what happened against the beauty of how amazing this country looks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is something that's not easy to get right. Right. So I think the director makes you want to go there. As soon as I left the cinema, the people I was with, we were all like, when are we going? When are we going? And that's where we're going.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's a magnificent landscape. I was actually, one of the last places I was in before COVID was Finland. And um, right. and it had a lot of that um, overlap of the land and culture as well. Like we were in reindeer. I went to a reindeer farm, which doesn't sound very romantic, but they're only sort of held during winter. And then in <laughs> summer, they just run free out in the pastures. And you could get to hug little baby reindeer, like feed yeah, them by hand. Out. Oh, it was just oh. the most divine thing. I, I know. Love a good reindeer. I mean, they are a bit woofy, but... Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know? When
2: you're there, you're not care, Yeah, right.
1: exactly. And yeah. if you go in winter, you know this is one of those locations you go in winter, and you just mm. and and you can see, you know, you can see the frozen lakes and and just the snowfall, and learn all of the different words for snow as well, because there are so many words for snow. You know, it's not just snow; it's like. The snow that falls from the trees and and the snow that disappears by sunrise and the you know it's just wow. it's really is a magical magical destination that whole strip of the Sami lands up the top of Scandinavia so I'm I'm I, wanna look, go I am right booking into tomorrow. this I, I'm not going to Norway in the very near future so I'm going to book <laughs> into um, let the river flow to yes. get my little Norwegian hit without um, leaving Australia so it just you know, it, it sounds it sounds divine. The other the other two had one in Germany and one in Ireland as well. So, which yes. one are you going to pick next?
2: Uh, let's go with Germany. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's called A Fire.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so it's set on the Baltic coast, mm. uh, and it is essentially a travel movie. Okay. Um, group of friends go on a vacation. Um, they're looking for just like the ultimate getaway, and to be honest, I didn't really know much about these islands before this movie or You know, that Germany had anything that beautiful and beautiful water, uh, I just never associated that with Germany.
1: Right. Okay. So this is the Baltic coast, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. right. Um, So the towns that they're setting out to go explore... To. I
2: knew you were going to make me say it. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to any Germans out there in advance. Starring. Um So, Lübeck and Travemünde.
1: Well done. Okay. I
2: tried. Uh, so and these
1: are UNESCO-listed properties as well, like yeah. UNESCO-listed destinations mm. as well, aren't they?
2: Yeah, which is like, how have I never heard of this? Um, so There's
1: another one for your bucket list, people. This is a movie called A Fire.
2: Uh, so, yeah, so you... They go and visit the historic Hanseatic city of Lübeck. There's an old town district. Um, and then you kind of travel on to Travermond, which is just the most gorgeous sandy beach shot. Right. It so- rivals, like, I don't want to say Australian beaches. Don't Don't comment. Um, but
1: it is northern
2: hemisphere. It was a we, surprise.
1: Well, this is that little curve of the Baltic Sea. So when you, you're sort of getting into, you've got Denmark not that far away, and it's mm. all before you. And and then you've got Copenhagen sort of straight ahead. So you've in, it's in that that sheltered the sheltered waters. Yeah. In the, I yeah. mean, that's a really long way north to expect. You know, you're not going to get tropical palms I and know. stuff like that, <laughs> and are you?
2: You don't. Yeah. But it's yeah, definitely just a complete surprise. The movie itself. Is, like, it is about a group of friends just trying to have a holiday. Hmm. Um, and there are some wildfires that kind of pretend to play a threat.
1: So do you rate this movie? That's um, the
2: question. Yeah. I, like, I still gave it four stars, but I think a lot of it was because of the location.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So. Um, and how
2: beautiful it is to look at. Hmm. So if you can just ignore the stuff that's happening and just watch the incredible cinematography that they did it's worth a watch just for that
1: okay so that's one so a fire that's one for one for the scenery pervs amongst us which I think is which is most of us if we're you know listening to a travel podcast and the last one we are going to Ireland which is a place very close to my heart I lived there for a long time and to Dublin this is the Miracle Club and it's got Maggie Smith in it Kathy Bates I mean we're on much more familiar ground here and Laura Linney love Laura Linney oh god (laughs) Um, and, uh, and it's set in Dublin yeah so tell us about yeah, it. so what's, what's this the was cox- the
2: only one that's in English. Mm. So the others are subtitled.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, so definitely more on the home ground. Mm. Although Kathy Bates' Irish accent
1: mm,
2: <laughs> question mark.
1: Okay. So this is set in this is set in Dublin. Yes. And. Uh, I mean, not all Dublin is is lovely Jordan, um doors and, and cutesy pubs, uh, is it? Is that what you're finding? it's around the South Wall. Definitely
2: not. Yeah. It's uh, very urban. It's gritty. Very Can we say gritty? Gritty is a word, okay. yes. Okay.
1: So why are you uh, choosing this one then for one to be looking at, like for well, a... Well,
2: so they don't just stay in Dublin. Yeah. So the purpose of this movie, it's another road trip movie. I okay. love a good road trip. Uh, they go to Lourdes.
1: Oh, in France. Yes. Okay, right.
2: Uh, and I guess all them have either a physical sickness mm. or a, uh, one of them has a mental illness mm-hmm. and the other is just really depressed and they kind of want to go to the grotto. Yeah. Uh, Which is, of course,
1: where miracles happen and you can be healed by the by yes. by the by the powers of the water. And it's a very Irish thing I to do. I did not know this. Oh, Again, goodness. Did you not grow up? See, this is Catholic know. schoolgirl. Talking here, right? Ah, right. You know, yeah, okay. so, yeah, a lady of lords was always one when you had an affliction or an illness of some sort, you pray to the lady. But also the right. south wall in Dublin, like, I mean, Dublin, the whole side of Dublin is was all about ferries. So do they fly there or do they take a boat?
2: They took a bus oh, okay. right. from their little village yep. to a ferry.
1: Right, okay, mm. yeah. So you ferry across to northern France, go to lords, get healed, come home. Insane. Right. I, I can't see the problem. <laughs> I can't see the problem. But, you know, so Maggie, Maggie Smith is doing it. Kathy Bates is doing it. Laura Linning's doing it. You know, it's a thing, Alistair. <laughs> okay.
2: And the, well, they actually went to Lords to film. So right. it looks incredible. Does it doesn't. So it's not all cgi and green screened and, oh, this is what it looks like. It's the actual place. Um, so they didn't
1: CGI the Virgin Mary in there.
2: <laughs> you don't see
1: her. Oh, okay.
2: You right. see the, So you see the spot where she supposedly appears? yeah. Um, And there's a lot of questions, this will be interesting for you, about whether she did appear or not
0: Mm.
2: through that movie, which was very interesting to watch the audience's reaction to that. Obviously, a lot of hardcore Catholics in that audience. Oh, really? But, yeah, I think the pool thing's interesting to actually, like, get into the water, get dunked down and come back and you're healed. Yeah. Right. Um, and they were saying that the strike rate on it, um, on the miracles in commas, is not as high as you think it's going to be. Um, so interesting.
1: Is this one of those power of healing, like the power of the mind to heal kind I of things? I think it's. Does Maggie Smith survive to the like end that. of it? That's they what I wanted. Oh, okay, like, right. right, right. A, oh, thank God. You it's can't not have a horrible a death go. movie.
2: Right. Okay. Good. Um, it's quite positive. Quite happy.
1: But you've um, got that gritty Dublin thing happening yeah. there because, you know, like in, in so many of those Irish movies, you know, you've got the stuff where everyone's running around with lovely sheep and <laughs> and fields and things like that and, and parish priests and stuff. And then you've got the, the... The real. Yeah. Yeah. There
2: are no sheep in this movie. Okay. Good to know. What I found interesting was that you can actually do pilgrimages as an individual or you can join a group through the local Lord's Government website and they'll connect you with others if you're wanting to do that. That's
1: and, and there's a, a twenty. You were saying there's thing, a twenty four right? hour live feed from the chapel? Yeah, so for some on, virtual healing.
2: It's on YouTube. Um, you can get to it through that website, which we'll put in the notes. Um, but yeah, if you just want to watch it, I watched it for maybe about half an hour.
1: What waiting for the someone the other to be here? It was
2: just incredible. It was just someone. Um, it was just a priest praying, hmm. and then a few other people came in and started singing, and I tapped out after that. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs>
1: I don't. But that's incredible. So, this is like a a bizarre concept. Well, a virtual healing experience as well. If you couldn't go yourself,
2: Maybe like you, just dial you in. might see the Virgin Mary on YouTube. Who knows? Quite
1: possibly. Well, ho- knows? well, somebody's filming it the whole time. I mean, pilgrimages are not a new, you know, I mean, uh, sorry, not an unusual thing, are yeah. they? Because, I mean, if no. you look at like the biggest, some of the biggest in the world are things like Hajj in Saudi Arabia mm. and, you know, Croke Patrick is another one in Ireland that, you know, people climb up to the top of this mountain where Patrick was um, praying, you know, the whole Holy Lands thing. You know, pilgrimage tourism is, is enormous, is absolutely yeah. enormous thing. So I did not know about the live webcam, though, and this movie, The Miracle Club, um, uh, taps into that. You know, it, you know, when I first moved to Ireland, I was reading the local papers because I was looking for a job as a journo. <laughs> the travel section did have a lot of ads for pilgrimages to different locations, you know, to the Holy Lands, to yeah. Lourdes, to yeah. yeah, it's it's um it's it was uh yeah, the back section of the newspapers was full of them. So. There you go. And you can also watch, um, do a virtual screening of these as well, can't you? Some of them.
2: Yeah. So some of them are on Miff Play, which is their digital uh, service. That is so cool. Um, so if you don't live in Melbourne, mm. you can access these wherever you are, mm. uh, even internationally and this year, I believe. Yeah, right. Uh, so, so you, you can buy a pass. You buy a rental. Um, I think it's 24 hours or three plays. Um, And then, yeah, on to the next. They do have packs if you Mm. want to get a couple. Um, There's so much on there.
1: Are all of these movies on there?
2: No, not all the movies, no.
1: Right, okay.
2: But, yeah, definitely worth watching. The Miracle Club you can catch in general cinemas as well Mm -hmm. from today. Right. Um, And that will be at Palace Cinemas. Make sure that you uh, check the times and the cinema name Mm. uh, because, yeah, quite a few people will go to their local village Or Hoyts. uh, And And then they'll be like, but all I can see is Barbie Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbie and Oppenheimer. (laughs) If you need a break, that's... This is what you can do.
1: Yeah, if you wanted to travel to a pink world, you could just dial into the Barbie one. So yes, yeah, you, we can put a travel spin on any one of them. Um, it was so gorgeous to catch up with you. Thanks very much for coming in. And, Thanks for having me on. And thank you for watching so many of those movies, all in the name of uh, <laughs> in the name of work. You know, I'm feeling your pain here. Gorgeous. All right. Well, we'll see you in a few weeks' time
0: because we're going to talk about more movies with a travel application then. And if you don't happen to be in Melbourne, you can still watch many of the movies in the MIFF program online from the 18th until the 27th of August. Visit miff.com.au and you can follow Alistair's movie adventures at novastreamnetwork.com and we'll put the link in our show notes.
1: Our tip this week is about what accommodation you should choose on your next European holiday, particularly relevant given so many people seem to be in Europe right now or are already planning their trip for next year. And with prices soaring, at hotel prices soaring, um, we thought it would be interesting to look at this new research out by financial planners Moneyzine which compares hotel prices to Airbnb.
0: Yes, and it found the best value for staying at a hotel versus Airbnb was Istanbul, where the average cost of a hotel is $118 compared to $45 for the average cost of an Airbnb.
1: Do you know, actually, Kirsty, I recently stayed in Istanbul, as I've mentioned previously on this podcast, and I was in a really reasonable eco-hotel called Number 11 in Pera, but looking for a couple of extra nights, I was actually really shocked by the hotel prices. Anything with any character was in the
0: hundreds of dollars per night. And Greece showed a similar disparity as well. The average cost of a hotel was 138 per night compared to 69 for an Airbnb. And these hotel prices, they actually do seem quite cheap. Yeah. But it does yeah. rise if you're looking at, say, Paris, which has an average hotel price of 242 compared to 131 in an Airbnb
1: oh my goodness i was in paris on easter and i can confirm hotel prices there are through the roof it, i mean it's so on it is paris is really on trend with this rising hotel prices so for our small family group it was far more affordable to get a two-bedroom apartment instead of a hotel rooms it was a little tricky as we were there in a peak time in the european easter break so every school in the continent was on holidays mm. Um, and the place we settled on was new to Airbnb and so it was unrated. It had no uh, reviews. And Well, it's it's not a bad thing because they actually discount them when they are like that because, you know, people do want to read their reviews. Beware, listener, beware. I did have to skirt around an explanation with my 12-year-old why the ladies of the night were standing on the street outside the <laughs> entrance to our Airbnb. So my advice is when you can, read the reviews or just suck it up and take the discount. <laughs>
0: It's worth looking at Booking.com, of course, too, which has long long been known as having a wider global presence, but Airbnb does actually have a stronger foothold with unique or niche properties. But sadly, we have all heard those stories of Airbnb cancellations that's happened to me too at the last minute, um, but they can happen anywhere. So I guess, like you say, it's just a matter of sort of reading reviews and weighing everything up and working out what works best for you and taking the risk, really. Or you can just book a hotel room. It's interesting to note that while a lot
1: of hotels will offer the same rate as uh, those on those uh, on the booking platforms, often if you go direct, you will get uh, you'll get an ad- additional benefit such as free parking, maybe a glass of wine in the hotel bar. So it's always worth playing all
0: of your options. I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the World Awaits. This week, I caught up with Wandering the World founder Glenice Johnson about her epic walks on the famed Camino de Santiago, which she has walked an incredible 35 times. She talks about how this momentous walk, which spans several countries, can literally change your perspective on life. Welcome to the show, Glenice. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Let's start by tell us a little bit about uh, your business, Wandering the World, and why you started it. Well, I
3: I took the advantage in 2013 um, to go and live in Spain for six months because I had a long service leave. And I thought, um, what am I going to do while I'm there? And my partner said to me, oh, look, we should do a week of the Camino. And I said, oh, what's the Camino? She said, oh, well, it's this great walk across Spain. It's about 800 kilometres. And I thought, well, we may as well do the whole thing. And so um,
0: (laughs) off we went. Yeah, 800 kilometres is quite a feat. Fantastic. And tell us about what you've been doing. So you've been walking and taking people on walks, which is which is what you do, right? You take small small sure. groups? Yes, yeah, so and I, I guess uh, when I come back to the
3: sharing what I love, I thought, well, I think I can encourage a few people along and walk different parts of the Camino and different parts of the world, for that matter, each year, and that way I can see what I want to see and do what I want to do. We had a lot of uh, guided groups uh, initially, um, but what has become really big, it's a self-guided. So there's some people whether a, a one person, a two person, like a couple or a, um, or a friends or small groups, private groups want to go off and do it on their own. They don't want me hanging around. And so, therefore, I actually create and craft something special for them, tailor it to their needs, and uh, away they go. And I've
0: got probably now 70% of my business is self-guided. So um, tell us a bit about what you've been doing the last three months and, and where you've been walking with your groups. Oh, look, it's been
3: so exciting to get back on the Camino track. Um, I haven't been there since 2019. I've walked into Santiago 35 times, so I have a lot of connections there. I know a lot of people there. I know the lady that in the gift shop on the, at the first bend when you walk into Santiago, and actually I, I went into her shop, and we've never really communicated much because of my Spanish and her English, and I looked across the counter, and she looked up at me, and I thought, will she recognise me? And she burst into tears. She came around, she hugged me, and she said, I worried about you so you know for me this whole the whole Camino is is not just a walking trip it's actually an emotional journey and that's what I think a lot of people are looking for um, it was just fantastic to see Portugal again uh, and and Spain and, and really they're, they're at their peak in terms of uh, tourism I went across to the UK as well. One dream was always to walk the coast to coast from uh, St B's to Robin Hood's Bay and stop in the small villages, the little guest houses, the bed and breakfasts, and that. Um, so I just had the most amazing three months. And with a lot of people that have travelled with
0: us before, meeting new people that hadn't walked before, it was just incredible. Tell us a bit more about the Camino and what is it that makes it such an emotional journey for you and for those who, who are who are experiencing it for the first time? Well,
3: one thing I think is actually, you know, there's some challenges in there in terms of distance, in terms of terrain, depending on what what people choose, whether they want a shorter walk or a longer walk. So I think it's the the emotional and the uh, reward of actually making it. You know, like if you walk anything from 100 to 800 kilometres, that's a big feat. And it's the people you meet, the local people you meet along the way, as well as the walkers that you meet along the way, the stories you hear. I mean, the famous thing is, you know, um, the movie, The Way, where someone's carrying someone's ashes. Um, there's all of these things that actually happen in real life on the Camino. So it turns into um, something that's very important um, in terms of a journey in people's lives.
0: And is is that why you keep going, going back to do that specific walk? Oh absolutely uh, and even um,
3: it doesn't even have to be Santiago where the emotion starts that's for sure and some people don't even finish there they finish in different places um, for different reasons it's just the welcoming that you receive uh, like I say the daily walking that makes you feel so fantastic in fact the walking's all about the guilt-free eating and drinking if I want to be really honest <laughs> 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 um, because Spain has um, fantastic food um, and uh, And it's just a a wonderful part of the world, which if you go in the summer months, when I say summer, anything from April through to the end of October, ignoring the peak summer, it's beautiful weather. So um, we're really sport for choice.
0: And what sort of people are you getting doing these walks? What are are their stories?
3: Well, I think what's happened of late is a lot of people that had uh, the Camino on their bucket list are are eager to get there. But in the past, I think there's been people that um, have just wanted a really long journey. They wanted to kind of shake some of the... um, their daily routine they're either sick of their job or sick of their lifestyle or or just want something completely different and they find that that long walk actually gives them that reflection time resets their compass and gives them different a different breathing space and a different outlook on life
0: fantastic and you said that um obviously the the uk walk was one that you were really wanting to do too what what's special about that walk well, I, I guess for me also,
3: I lived in the UK for eight years, so I've always had a, 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 you know, a passion for it in many ways. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tough walk, especially in the first few days. But there's just something quite beautiful about the, the northern part of England, and um, going from one, going from the Irish Sea to the North Sea um and just the landscape you know you've got the moors and the dales but you've also got the most picturesque lake district so there's a whole lot of lovely scenery as well as the wonderful people that that welcome you into their inns it sounds like you're uh, not spending too much time in one place these days <laughs> well that's right and look uh, some people say how do you live out of a suitcase i didn't even notice that we, we do uh, a luggage transfer so all i have to do is unzip a couple of sips <laughs> change clothes sip them up again <laughs> let somebody else do the
0: hard work Ah, oh, hilarious! So, are you seeing an increase in people wanting to do walking holidays? And what, what, why do you think that is? If if that is the case, Oh a
3: huge increase. I think probably because of COVID, people started walking and realising that that's actually quite a nice way to go. So that combined with people having things on their bucket list, which I think are now floating to the top of as an urgent thing to do, is what really has created a huge momentum for the Camino in particular.
0: Is there a specific sort of type of person that you're seeing? Is there, is there, is there a, um, an increase in, in females or solo travelling or or what, what's sort of some of the trends that you're seeing?
3: Yeah, look, there's always been more females than males, I've found, um, especially on the the guided trips. But even with the single, uh, sorry, even with the self-guided, there's a lot of women doing, them, doing long walks on their own, which I really take my hat off to. Sometimes they're a little nervous in the beginning when I'm talking to them about their journey, but you can tell that they're just gonna have a walk of a lifetime. And when you talk to them at the end, I mean, I always reconnect at the end and and find out what they've discovered and they've just got stories galore and they just feel so empowered and so confident. People grow in confidence with these walks, whether it's something they do on their own or with a group, they just see themselves a bit differently and they understand that health, you know, the, the importance of health and of course walking helps enormously with that.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And so, what what specifically are some other areas that you're seeing people are wanting to go to and 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 walk in? What are some? or what are some of the specific uh, tracks, uh, um, you know, that you that you're doing with people?
3: Well, certainly Japan is well and truly um, back on the radar, and and it's always been a popular destination, but certainly a lot more walking in Japan now with some of the trails like the Nagasendo Way and the Kamano Kodo. So. We find that the minute we send out a note about one of those those walks, um, people sign up immediately. It's a fantastic part of the world. It's one of my favourite countries as well, Japan. Beautiful people. Such a different culture to anywhere else in the world. It's completely unique in every way. So um, that combined with the UK, like I mentioned, whether it's England, Scotland, Ireland, uh, certainly uh, Italy is getting a lot of attention as well. Um, And then there's there's other parts like people are still putting their hand up to go to places like Nepal and and see the beauty of the the Himalayas as well. And how many kilometres are you sort of averaging per day? Well, we vary things depending on, I mean, I do a a lovely trip called the Leisurely Way, which I really enjoy with people that that just want it to be a little bit slower paced. So, you know, it's only about 12 kilometres. But then I will will actually tailor uh, the longer 800-kilometre walk for people who walk up to 30, 35 kilometres a day uh, and um, so it, it really depends on the person and what they're looking for but there's, there's options out there for everyone.
0: If I was wanting to do um, a walk and I hadn't um, or, you know been on sort of a walking um, travel experience before what, what would be sort of where, where do, would you recommend people start? I really think the Saria to Santiago, it's
3: 100 kilometres. It is the most popular path. I, I think the trick is to get the timing right so that you're not with you know, the hordes of people because it is a popular path. But I think that path has a great energy, a great feel. You're seeing lots of forest. There's plenty of cafes to go as fast as slow as you like if you want to have a long coffee in the morning or a long lunch on the way. Uh, there's plenty of accommodation places and they're nice, unique. Rustic, wow, charming sort of places. So you can tailor that again to what you're looking for or downgrade if you want to brave it and do the uh, the bunk style accommodation, which we certainly don't do. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that and it's a great starting point to understand how you can, how your body is going to, to behave um, with a hundred kilometer walk.
0: Absolutely, and so what's next for you? Where are you? Where are you heading to next, and and how long are you planning on continuing to doing these?
3: um... (laughs) Well, I certainly don't have an end date. Um, I'm actually off to the Kimberley this weekend, so I'm pretty excited about that. We have a walk there, which I have a couple of guides that are going to look after me rather than the other way around. So I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also really looking forward to to September, where I'm heading back to go over the Pyrenees again. I'm guiding this lovely lady who's meeting up with her husband in Pamplona. She doesn't want to go over the Pyrenees on her own. And I said, I'll go with you. Um, It's just a beautiful part of the Camino. You come, you know, you start in the the base of the Pyrenees in France and go across to to Pamplona in four days. And then I'll continue on to um, guide a few groups on that Saria to Santiago stretch that I
0: love. Gosh, what a lifestyle. You're making me incredibly jealous. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Come with me. I would love to come with you. So, look, we end all of our interviews with this question. So, tell us, what's the most bizarre situation you've found yourself in during your travels?
3: Oh well, there's quite a few, I guess. Um, I guess one of the one thing that will always um, make me smile is the language barrier that um, can work for you or against you. Um, I was in a restaurant one night with a, a dozen people in my group, and. Um, well, I thought I'll give them a, a little bit of a treat here and before we have our main meal, I'll just get, you know, some nice chorizo, some of their nice calamari, their Padron peppers for everyone to have a taste. So, so I've ordered that uh, quite confidently in um, my best Spanish. This is quite a few years ago. And so out it comes. I thought, oh, this is fantastic. You now, just a platter, nice, pl- nice size platter for everyone, but they bought out 12. So I then had to busily offer the, uh, the platters to the rest of the people in the restaurant because there would have been enough food for us to eat for three nights. They're, they're very generous with their portion sizes in Spanish. So, um, yeah, certainly the language barrier, um, which nowadays Google Translate helps with enormously. But, yeah, yeah there's been a few little <laughs> tricky things along the way. I guess it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it could have, Kirsty. It could have, absolutely.
0: <laughs> All right, look, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to talk to you and, um, and good luck in the Kimberley.
1: Wow, that's so inspiring. It makes me want to lace up my walking boots immediately. To learn more about Glenys' walks, go to wanderingtheworld.com.au. And that brings to a close The World Awaits this week. Click to subscribe anywhere you listen to your favourite pods. And you can find us at
0: theworldawaits.au. And where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm at Kirsty Rights on Instagram and Facebook. That's K-I-R-S-T-I-E Rights. And where can people find you, Belle?
1: You'll find me at globalcelsa.com or Instagram on global underscore salsa. Thanks for listening. See you next week.